Reacting to the world's best science. The Naked Scientist Newsflash. Hello and welcome to the Naked Scientist News Flash, where we take a weekly look at what's hot in the world of science. This week's episode features Diana O'Carroll, Kat Arney and Sarah Castor-Perry, and I'm Ben Balsler. Coming up, how an artificial organism with 12 genetic bases rather than just the usual four could shed light on the origins of life. They hope the research will shed light on how life started on Earth by producing a self-sustaining molecule capable of Darwinian evolution and reproduction. And it's similar to the one that is thought to have appeared on Earth nearly four billion years ago. How a genetic marker known as microsatellite instability could help us to identify those at risk of bowel cancer. Now, the researchers found that first-degree relatives of patients whose tumours showed this microsatellite instability were much more likely, up to 20 times more, to develop bowel cancer themselves than the relatives of patients whose tumours didn't show the instability, particularly if the patient themselves developed cancer under the age of 45. Plus, Sarah Castor-Perry explains how the very first patent for a genetically modified organism was awarded this week in science history. That's all on the way. First up on the news this week, it's artificial DNA. Scientists have turned the basic structure of DNA on its head, taking it from four bases to 12. This 12-base system has already been implemented in developing new forms of personalised medicine, but now the researchers want to see if this more complex DNA can be self-sustaining. 56 years ago, Watson and Crick described DNA as containing base pairs made up of adenine, thymine, guanine and cytosine, or A, T, G and C. As far as we know, all DNA on Earth uses only these four bases. But now Steve Bennett and colleagues from Florida have rewritten these rules, and his group are testing a system that uses eight more bases. They hope the research will shed light on how life started on Earth by producing a self-sustaining molecule capable of Darwinian evolution and reproduction. And it's similar to the one that is thought to have appeared on Earth nearly four billion years ago. At the American Chemical Society meeting this week, Banner described his ultimate goal to synthesise a similar molecule in his lab at the Foundation for Applied Molecular Evolution. His 12-letter genetic system is capable of nearly all of the actions that define a living thing – reproduction, growth and response to its environment – But it still isn't self-sustaining, Benner explained. You need a graduate or postdoc to come in the morning and feed it. It doesn't look for its own food. No one has gotten that first step to work. If you start making estimates of how many molecules you have to look for in order to find one that does this, you're talking about 1 times 10 to the 34 molecules, he said. So it sounds like something from the X-Files, but one day they may grow their very own alien DNA molecule in the lab. Crikey, fascinating stuff. Uh, Speaking of DNA, here's a story about how cancer can run in families. Now, the key to treating cancer, as we know successfully, is to catch it as early as possible. And this is particularly true in the case of bowel cancer, where around 8 out of 10 people will survive the cancer if it's caught at an early stage. But sadly, at the moment, we only detect about 1 in 10 cancers this early. Now, we already know from research that having a family history of bowel cancer increases the risk of developing the disease yourself. So, for example... 
just having one first degree relative with bowel cancer can double your risk. That's a parent, a sibling or a child. And if they were diagnosed at a young age, say under the age of 45, this increases your chances of developing bowel cancer even more. Well, previous research has suggested that offering colonoscopy screening to people from families with a strong family history of bowel cancer could help to save lives. But it's not really practically possible to screen everyone who's just got a relative who's got bowel cancer. Now, some research from Cancer Research UK funded scientists at the Institute of Cancer Research in Surrey has shown that a simple test could help to identify people with bowel cancer whose immediate relatives are at the highest risk of developing the disease themselves. Now, the scientists studied DNA in tumour samples taken from nearly 3,000 people with bowel cancer and they were looking for signs of something called microsatellite instability. This is basically messed up DNA and it happens when there are faults in the genes that repair DNA. So it's sort of a proxy measure for mistakes in these crucial genes. Now the researchers found that first degree relatives of patients whose tumours showed this microsatellite instability were much more likely up to 20 times more to develop bowel cancer themselves than the relatives of patients whose tumours didn't show the instability, particularly if the patient themselves developed cancer under the age of 45. Now overall this means that the scientists think it would probably be worth screening people from the age of 25 if they come from a family where someone young developed bowel cancer and their cancer had this microsatellite instability. But on the flip side, people related to patients whose tumours don't show this microsatellite instability probably wouldn't need screening from such a young age. So in fact, this will help us to target really stretch screening resources to the people who are at the highest risk. And it will mean that people who aren't at such a high risk won't have to have a nasty colonoscopy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's great because you, uh, you really need to catch that one early, don't you? Absolutely. It's really a successful treatment if you can catch bowel cancer early. Fantastic. Well, the next story is truly juicy couture, maybe if I used a proper French accent. Um, But charging your mobile phone could be done just by waving your arms and legs about a bit, according to scientists in the US. Now, Zhongling Wang and colleagues have used millions of nanowires made from zinc oxide to generate electric currents from simple body movements, such as walking or even the flow of blood around your body. And the researchers say this technology could negate the use for batteries in the future. So presented again at the American Chemical Society meeting this week, Wang described how these nanowires are piezoelectric, which means every time they are subjected to mechanical stress, they produce a current. Now, last year, the researchers placed a nanowire generator in a biofluid and they passed ultrasonic waves through it, and the movement produced a small but detectable direct current. This time, the researchers say that making the nanowires out of zinc oxide means they can generate electricity from much lower frequency movements. And that includes waving your arms about or the effects of a soft breeze on a fabric. The nanogenerators are made by growing these zinc oxide wires radially around conductive fibres. And they say they do need quite a lot of these nanogenerators to make enough current to run something like a mobile phone. But the zinc oxide nanowires can actually be grown on all sorts of different surfaces, such as metals, ceramics, or even clothing. And the wires are only 1 25th the diameter of a human hair. So theoretically, you could incorporate them into a T-shirt and they'd remain virtually invisible, which is pretty cool. What's even more exciting is that these energy materials generate current in air and in water. So as long as the device you want to charge is waterproof, you can give it some juice while you're swimming.
Oh, that'd be fantastic. Just have a quick rave, go for a quick swim, <laughs> charge off anything. Absolutely great. Another interesting technological solution to a, a problem is the problem of TB or tuberculosis, which is definitely a growing problem around the world. And it's certainly on the rise in the West, as well as in the developing world. And it's thought that actually someone somewhere in the world is being infected with TB every single second. Now, researchers in the US have actually made a discovery this week that could help scientists to develop new drugs to tackle the growing problem of TB. Well, current TB treatments only tackle actively growing bacteria. This is the mycobacterium tuberculosis that causes the disease. But the bugs can also lie low in the body. This is called latency. And it makes them very difficult to treat effectively. And it's thought that around a third of the world's population has some kind of latent infection with the mycobacterium tuberculosis. And then one in ten of these will go on to develop full-blown TB. Now, researchers led by Barbara Garitana at the University of Maryland have uncovered the molecular structure and the mechanism of an enzyme called NAD plus synthetase, which plays an important role in the TB bacterium's energy production by producing a chemical called NAD plus. Now, this is a really important drug target because while humans use many different molecular pathways to produce our own NAD plus, and that's something that's involved in our metabolism, how we make energy in our cells, the TB bacteria only use two pathways and both rely on this enzyme, NAD plus synthetase. And the enzyme's also needed even if the bacteria are lying low and lying latent. So knocking out this enzyme using drugs could be a really powerful and very specific way to treat TB infections, including these latent infections. So the researchers used a technique called X-ray crystallography to find the structure of NAD plus synthetase down to the atomic scale. And they do this by firing high-energy X-ray beams through crystals made of the enzyme and then you analyse the resulting image by computer. This is the same way that people figured out the structure of DNA you know, 50, 60 years ago. It's still very useful today. And now that we have this structure, it's going to be possible to rationally design drugs that would lock into crucial parts of the enzyme and block its activity. So this is a, a really exciting step forward in the fight against TB. That was Kat Arney and Diana O'Carroll before her discussing some of the hot science topics of the week. The Naked Scientist Newsflash. Reacting to the world's best science. Sarah Castor-Perry has once again been raiding the science archives to discover what was happening this week in science history. This week in science history saw, in 1981, the issuing of a patent to Ananda Mohan Chakrabarti for a genetically modified Pseudomonas bacterium that would eat up oil spills, the first patent of its kind. This was not the first bacterium to be engineered to do something that would be of use to humans. In 1978, Herbert Boyer engineered an E. coli bacterium that would produce human insulin, revolutionising and hugely improving treatment for diabetes, human insulin being much more effective than pig insulin, which was being used at the time. So the really important thing about this granting of the patent to Chakrabarti was not the fact that this group had modified an organism that would clean up oil spills, but that it set the precedent for the ability to get a patent for an animal or organism that had been genetically modified. This was after a lengthy court case in 1980 that went right up to the Supreme Court of the United States, where the opposers to Chakrabarti's application for the patent argued that according to the United States Constitution, living organisms could not be patented. The team defending Chakrabarti argued that the fact that the bacteria were living organisms was irrelevant, as it also states in the Constitution that any novel process or technology created by man could be patented, 
and that this being a new species of bacteria created by man fell into this category. The court ruled in Chakrabarti's favour. There are four species of oil-eating bacteria in the genus Pseudomonas, each using a different component of the oil as a food source. But when added to a sample of oil together, they compete with each other, like any four species would if all put together with a food source they all want to eat. This meant that the oil wasn't cleaned up very efficiently or very quickly. Bacteria contain plasmids, rings of DNA that code for the proteins they produce. Differences in this DNA will lead to proteins that allow the bacteria to use oil, methane, sugar, sulfur or many other things as food. Chakrabarti's team took the plasmids from the four species of oil-eating bacteria and put them all into a single bacteria. Usually, these plasmids would not all cooperate in the same cell, but exposing the cell to ultraviolet light made the plasmids join into one that could use all four pathways of the original plasmids to break down several different components of the oil. The bacterium itself has proved useful. Whilst not very fast at cleaning up an oil spill, it is still much quicker than using any of the naturally occurring species, and it was used in the cleanup of the disastrous Exxon Valdez oil spill in 1989, where a massive 40 million litres of oil was released into Prince William Sound in Alaska. Many other genetically engineered organisms have been patented since then, from bacteria used in mineral extraction up to mice and rats used to study genetic disorders known as knockouts. The ability to engineer the genomes of organisms has had huge medical, industrial and environmental benefits, but it still remains controversial. Read the references and find out the facts. All our programmes are archived in text and audio on our website at nakedscientist.com. Well, that's all we have for this Naked Scientist Newsflash, which featured Diana O'Carroll, Kat Arney and Sarah Custer-Perry. The Naked Scientist Newsflash is produced by me, Ben Valsler. If you enjoyed it, then why not check out the Naked Scientist podcast, where every week we bring you the latest in science news, along with interviews, answers to your science questions, and a kitchen science experiment to try out at home. Join us on the web at thenakedscientist.com, and I'll be back with another roundup next week. The Naked Scientist Newsflash, reacting to the world's best science. For more information, look us up online at nakedscientists.com.